Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, uh, we recognize you as the one who is sovereign, who has all things under your control. No exceptions, no exceptions. And for us to keep that in mind is so important because our trust, our faith, our hope is in you and is not in ourselves. Though sometimes we might think so. It is not in others. It's not in governments. It's not in uh, uh, CEOs of uh, major corporations. Uh, it's in none of those things. And it's not in Satan's hand to rule the world with absolute sovereignty. But it is your domain, Father, and we're thankful for that. Uh, Father, there's so many uh, things to be thankful for in addition to that, that you're working all things together for our good, that uh Though the circumstances we are living in at this moment may not be what we asked for, we nevertheless are uh, encouraged to always thank you and to thank you for all things. And that you've uh, ordained our future deliverance from all of these trials of life that came ultimately from Adam's sin and rebellion so very long ago. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that we have a confidence. We have a hope. Uh, many do not, but uh, we do. I pray, Father, that when we falter in that regard, that you'll remind us of uh, where our true hope is, and that is a heavenly hope, and that this life is but a preparation for eternity. Father, there are many, many other thanksgivings, uh, certainly, um, that you've protected so many of us from the COVID virus, that you've continued to work in the area of healing for for some who've so much needed that. And Father, I pray for our enemies that we might not forget that in this great land, there are many who stand for truth in, in the various ways that one can do that, whether it's spiritually, as, as we certainly would endeavor to do always or in the political sphere for some in work and business and family to stand for truth um, father many do not they've turned aside but father we do pray first of all for their salvation if they're still in need of that and if that's not the issue father there is an issue of their understanding and and their knowledge. So, Father, we just pray that you do a great work in these days. And I pray that you'd raise up many willing and able to speak forth uh, truth uh, in every circumstance of life, even when it's a risky, risky endeavor indeed. Father, I pray for all of those suffering so greatly in Texas, but in many other states as well, and for the great trials that they've undergone. Many believers are certainly included in that group, and some have died, and others are just suffering the consequences of the uh, very severe uh, spell of uh, temperatures down near zero. So, Father, I pray that they would be able to resolve these issues, that the governor would be wise, that uh, those that serve the people there would serve them well, and uh, that they'd, and that you'd bring deliverance as well, weather-wise, for them and for so many others in this country still suffering the consequence of this difficult winter. So, Father, um, 
just so many things are on our hearts, but I pray, Father, that you'd open our hearts to your word now, and that might be a blessing to us in Christ's name, and and amen. Well, we have the privilege today of continuing on in our study. This is part two, part two of what I have called the great transition, the glorious sweep of God's abundant grace. And I say it that way because grace sweeps away (laughs) everything else that stood in its path. And what stood in its path was not bad. I mean, there were many good things that stood in the way of the full revelation of God's grace, things that had been uh, the will of God and the purpose of God for so long, right? After all, there were other dispensational plans before the one that we enjoy, right? But as I've said before a few times, and I'll say it again in just a moment, Dispensational plans do not mix well. (laughs) We'll say more of that in a moment. Last time we introduced uh, this series of studies uh, by looking at the gospel accounts of how first through John the baptizer, he wasn't a Baptist, you know, but anyway, he was a baptizer. Uh, John the baptizer preached the baptism of repentance, that the kingdom was at hand, and there need to be a proper response to that. Uh, in fact, he came to prepare a people for the name of, God, of the Lord and to identify Israel's Messiah, who was in fact Jesus, our Lord Jesus. Um, so John, John was raised up uh, for that purpose, and he did that and carried out that purpose so Well, the kingdom was preached as at hand. Therefore, note had to be taken. You could not just go on as if life was just going to go on as usual. No, life was not going on as usual any longer, right? God was intersecting in the affairs of mankind, especially there in Israel, in a dramatic way. Okay, so that's what we looked at last time. I'll give a review of that in just a moment as to what we learned. First, though, our outline today. Our outline today is the glorious sweep of God's abundant grace, and uh, this time the preparation. The preparation for what? Well, that's very important for us to learn. The preparation for the kingdom offer, for the offer of the kingdom. And there are three parts. First of all, the promise was proclaimed. You know the promise will be the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon uh, many in Jerusalem. So the promise was, first of all, proclaimed. Secondly, the promise was provided. The Holy Spirit was given, right, provided. Thirdly, the promise was even prophesied and so one should surely take note of that so the promise was proclaimed the promise was provided and the promise was even prophesied 
And so that's where we'll be today, uh, Lord willing. Um, as I've said, dispensations don't mix well. Therefore, transitions are necessary. And uh, uh, it's common for many to read the scriptures sort of non-literally, not taking the scripture to heart as one should, not thinking about what it really means, what is God's intent, and therefore missing out on what God was really doing. And since most of the Bible is historical and gives us uh, uh, what we need to know about how God worked in times past, some prophetic times future in that case, but uh, much is historical. And if we read all the way back uh, at the beginning, we'll see that there were transitional changes uh, from time to time. Just think about the transition from promise to the Mosaic law. In other words, from Abraham and then uh, his son Isaac and his son Jacob and their 12 sons, right? And then the giving of Moses' law, which added something kind of amazing to what had been given before. It didn't cancel out everything, but it added something amazing, namely the law, which was recorded, uh, partially recorded on tablets of stone and elsewise, uh, a very long document of hundreds and hundreds of uh, positive requirements and uh, prohibitions. So, uh, that is uh, a great transition indeed, and um, it required the uh, the work of God to accomplish. Um, remember, children of Israel wandered after being delivered from Egypt for over 38 and a half years in the wilderness before they entered into the promised land. And uh, so the Mosaic law was not fully... Uh, executed until then, right? So the transition ended when they entered into the promised land and uh, took nearly 38 and a half years, a long time. Um, you can think back even before that when uh, the uh, earlier dispensation was replaced by the dispensation of human government so there had been patriarchs uh, from from Adam and then Seth down, downwards, right? Uh, Shem, uh, sorry, Seth, let's not get that wrong, right? Uh, down to a man named Noah that God raised up. And uh, the transitional uh, period there was an uh, uh, interesting one indeed. It took about uh, 100 years. Noah preached for 100 years and then... And he warned them as to what God was going to do. Response was not great. Only eight were saved, Noah and his family. And the rest were lost in the great flood. Then that transition was over. Noah was uh, recognized clearly as uh, the one in charge of the dispensation of human government. And he passed that down to others, other generations, of course. So so there's a great transition uh, visible in various places in the Bible. Looking ahead into prophecy, think about uh, the tribulation period leading into the millennial kingdom, right? So don't be concerned uh, or surprised uh, or confused about the necessity for transition periods. So 
What we are learning about here, though, when we look into the book of Acts, is that transition. And uh, that transition begins at the beginning of the book of Acts, and it goes to the end of the book of Acts. And it's a transition starting out with what I would call the Pentecostal dispensation and ending with Israel being completely set aside, formally set aside by Paul in Rome uh, in Acts chapter 28 at the end there. Uh, And so Paul ends up the central figure in uh, the book of Acts, but he wasn't the central figure at the beginning of the book of Acts. In fact, Peter, James, and John were the ones and the others of the 12. They were the ones in charge in Jerusalem, right, at the beginning. But from chapter 9 onwards, uh, Paul takes the center stage, and after chapter uh, 12, uh, and then finally 15, the others don't even appear (laughs) in the book of Acts at all. So that there was a transition underway is very clear. And that's how we should see the the uh, the book of Acts. It is a record of the transition from the one dispensational plan to another. What I, I want us to see today is how that all developed and what its underpinnings really were. Because on the day of Pentecost, there was a great event. It was miraculous. It was visible to all who were there. Uh, in one way or another, at least if they hadn't seen it, they would hear of it shortly. A great work of God had occurred, but it was not in a vacuum. Some things had led up to that very directly, and that's what we want to look at uh, now. Now, you remember, and we've focused on it last time very specifically, but you remember how, uh, and I mentioned it a bit ago, John John the baptizer, he preached that the kingdom was at hand. Okay, those are the key words, at hand. Then he identified our Lord Jesus as Israel's Messiah, right? John then disappears from the scene nearly totally, not quite. He will soon be martyred, actually. But um, the Lord Jesus takes the center position in the narratives of the gospel's accounts, right? And uh, what does the Lord Jesus preach? That the kingdom is at hand. And not only that, but his preaching of the gospel of that kingdom, which is at hand, involved miraculous signs and wonders. I'm just going to quickly read Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. There weren't any exceptions. There weren't any failures. There there was no partial (laughs) consequence of him 
with his great work uh, with those people greatly in need physically, right? And not only physically, you see some of them had other issues, mental and so forth. Okay, um, some of them were even possessed of demons. But the Lord had power over the spiritual realm and over the earthly uh physical realm, both, okay? So that's the way it was when Christ uh, manifested forth in his ministry, his own uh, messiahship. He was Israel's messiah, and he demonstrated that by the signs and the wonders and the miracles. But how could they be so sure he was the one who had been promised? You remember, there had been prophesied, uh, prophesied uh, in the great uh, prophet Isaiah, where he says, and this is in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4, say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And then skipping to verse 10, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Well, with such great promises, it's surely the case that the saints of God, those who had believed uh, that Jesus was truly their Messiah, uh, would speak boldly concerning the coming kingdom. And they did. They did. Uh, Jesus even sent forth his 12 apostles and commanded them, and he said, go, and this is in Matthew 10, by the way, verse 7, go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And so he sent out his disciples, and what was the consequence of that? Exactly the same. They then were empowered to work those same signs, wonders, and miracles. Okay, so uh, that's the backdrop, you see. That's uh, what happened. But something happened that, is, that disciples didn't really expect, and that's because they hadn't believed the Lord who had told them that there would be delays in the plan, okay? And what happened? He was turned over by the rulers of the nation to be crucified. And he died and was buried. And then God gloriously raised him from the dead. Uh, and that sets the stage for where we are here today. Today we're going to see how Pentecost signaling signaled, signaled, let me start over there, how Pentecost signaled the coming of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit dwelling upon the believers, who was actually 
himself, the Holy Spirit was himself called the promise, right? And through great signs, wonders, and miracles, there would be a foreshadowing of the coming kingdom. Okay, so that's uh, where we start today. And uh, so the first point will be that the promise, the promise of the Spirit was was proclaimed. And um, so this will be in God's appointed timing. Now, you, you have, after the resurrection, the report of Christ's resurrection being spread abroad everywhere, everywhere, right? And many even saw face to face the risen Lord. It was over, what, hundreds, um, hundreds, over 500, Paul said, actually saw the risen Lord Jesus, right? So there's much talk going on here, but the Lord has uh, requested a delay uh, in the actual ministry that he has commanded regarding the preaching concerning this kingdom. So he said there will be a delay. Okay, so let's uh, just look into this. It's in Mark chapter 16, and uh, I would like Lisa uh, to read of this. Um how the background of this is laid out here, what the circumstances now really are uh, as the book of Acts begins. So Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Amen. Yes, amen, right. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> Mark doesn't... Um doesn't give any details now about what happens after the Lord was caught up into heaven's glory and uh, just writes there as if uh, this kingdom program was now well underway, right? Um, that's uh, what he he wrote there in uh, verse 20. But the commission was to go forth to the ends of the earth, right, with this message regarding Christ's resurrection and his what apparently soon, well, in any case, is return to this earth in judgment. Remember, Isaiah uh, had not only spoken of, of deliverance and healings on a mass scale, but he spoke of judgment, right? Uh, so the judgment can't be ignored. That is the expectation. Um, so the priority of the nation's repentance and faith in Jesus Christ was uh, very, very clearly expected to be understood by all, right? Because if one does not respond according to this message that's preached in repentance and faith, then judgment will follow, right? And if it's the nation, then the judgment of the nation will follow, right? And, and so... Uh, it's a very, very uh, crucial, critical time now in the history of the nation of Israel. 
Yes, Christ is risen, and many have seen him in his resurrection form. They've heard him, in some cases, even give uh, a promise concerning the future. But uh, what about the nation? It, it knows nothing except what it uh, is spread abroad, right? <laughs> if the news is working well, many would, would at least hear the message. Otherwise, it would be suppressed, as, of course, the enemy would like. We know a lot about that in our nation today. Well, the Lord appears actually before, uh, just before his ascension, to some who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And you remember that. I'm not going to read the whole the whole text there. This is in Luke chapter uh, 24. But I, I would like Anne just to read uh, a few verses because it really sets the stage for what's going to follow as the book of Acts opens up. Uh, so, Anne, would you read for us, please, verses 46 through 49. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, to tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endured with power from on high. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, Anne. So the key words are, tarry ye in Jerusalem until. Okay, so already there's a delay. So they know what the plan is. The plan is that the Lord's going to return, and he's going to judge, and he's going to deliver those who uh, have been faithful and judge the rest, <laughs> and even the world, right? Uh but regarding the timing of all of this, uh, he says, well, there's there's a delay now. You didn't expect this, but I'm telling you, you need to stay right there in Jerusalem until uh, until you have the power to go on, right? Until you be endued with power, and not just power internally in your hearts, in conviction and, in, you know, uh, strength and boldness and all of that, but... This is going to be power from on high. And he calls it here in verse 49, the promise of my father. Okay. Hmm. So this is a critical thing that's going to occur in there to wait. Okay. So we get to the book of Acts. You open the book of Acts uh, uh, with me now. We're going to quickly look at uh, chapter one and then chapter two. Chapter one, though, uh, opens the scene there. Uh, they're gathered. Many are gathered. Not all. This is a small grouping. In fact, it's in inside uh, some home or uh, some facility there. Um, Linda, would you like to read for us, please, uh, concerning what uh, has happened there? Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? 
And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, thank you, Linda. Okay, so <laughs> the great question on the minds of um, those that are gathered, in fact, they sort of together, it says here, asked the question, verse 6, when they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And why not? Well, because the time was not yet ready in God's plan, okay? So they need to learn a few things now, uh, these disciples. Uh, the timing is all important, right? And they're to wait until, it says here, verse 8, they receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Okay, they must wait. Well, and they do wait. And uh, amazing things occur. Okay. Um, what happens next? Well, as we look at this, remember, they're waiting, waiting, waiting. They're all full of anticipation. I mean, the Lord has gone back into his heavenly home, right? He's given promises. He's even said the promise of the Spirit will come upon you. Well, this is not going to be a minor thing. They knew that, okay? They knew about the Spirit. He'd been involved, but in a somewhat minor way uh, during their previous ministries. Um, at least they didn't know his personal presence the way it would now uh, apparently be occurring. And uh, it says also that the promise of the Spirit is going to occur in place of, apparently, the prophesied coming of the Lord, because it's not time yet. So instead of the Lord returning to establish the kingdom, to bring deliverance to some and judgment for the others, the Spirit would come. I mean, they had to see this as something remarkable. How, how can they get their, their minds around it? Does it make any sense at all? Why is the kingdom not going to establish, be established right now? And the Lord has said it's not for you to know the times which remain in the Father's control. Okay, so something remained to be done. What was that? And I suggest that what remained was the completion of the earlier uh, prophecies regarding the preparation of a people for the name of the Lord, okay? Until you have the people, the Lord cannot return. You see, there's got to be a, a preparation of a people. And um, I believe that 12 began to comprehend this at this point. Um, they knew there were people, in fact, probably an, a goodly number, right? Uh, what, a thousand or more? Um, maybe much more than that. We don't know, right? But even more glorious would be an elect nation. That's what actually prophecy indicates will eventually be accomplished before the return 
of the Lord, right? An elect nation, just not some believers here in Jerusalem gathered, but an elect nation. And so what's happening here is one step at a time, a preparation, a preparation for the formal offering of the kingdom, as we will see next time. Okay, uh, let's go on to the second part here. So there's been um, a promise uh, given. Now the promise was provided. Let's see how that goes here. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, there are these words, and I want you to have them in mind as we proceed. We'll be reading Acts 2, verses 1 through 4 in a moment. Um, 1 through 6, I guess, rather. Uh, but before we do, in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, it says, Simeon, now this is way back, you know, at the beginning. Uh, Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, the mother of the Lord, behold. So this is before the Lord Jesus is born. This is when he has just been incarnated in, in Mary's womb, right? So Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. This child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. I guess that these words may very well have been in the hearts of many there in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost. Pente Pentecost, 50 days, you know, after resurrection. Okay, so when Peter stands up to speak, many were very carefully listening to his words. And these are his words. Okay, honey, can you read for us uh, Acts chapter 2? Verses uh, 1 through 6. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were, dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So this was such an incredible outpouring. <laughs> Many could hear what was spoken. And uh, what Peter is going to do is to preach an incredible message, really, based upon that event. He's going to put that event in the proper context so that they might understand what's happening. It's so important. How could they understand otherwise? What they're hearing, these people who are from far places, they're Jewish or Jewish proselytes, in other words, Gentiles. They've come on pilgrimage. It gives a list here of all the places they came from, right? From all over that part of the known world, right? 
even as far away as as Egypt or up in Turkey or or in Libya, even it says here, right? Even Rome, right, came on pilgrimage to Jerusalem because it was Pentecost and it was the time for Jews to worship the Lord in that way every year. Okay, um, they weren't coming because of the resurrection of Christ and His death. That's not why they were there, right? But what they came and heard, because the Spirit of God came upon so many, what they heard is, it says here in verse 11, we hear them speak in our languages the wonderful works of God. Oh, my. So now we have an incredible, miraculous event. that had never happened before, right? So when Peter speaks... Um, Miracles are are occurring, and uh, I'm sure they could understand him well. Okay, but this is all in the context of what Peter knows. He's expecting the kingdom. He just doesn't know when, right? And he's preaching the coming kingdom. Now, how does he do that? And that leads us to our last our last section here. The promise was even prophesied. What Peter has to do is put this in the right context. Yes, the Lord had said, wait until the promise comes, that the promise came, right? The Spirit came, and now we see the evidence. Now what Peter needs to do is put that in the right prophetic context. The promise was even prophesied, even you go way back in history. Okay, so what Peter does is to stand up and speaks, and in verse 16, he, in fact, he's, just before that, he says, these people are not drunk that you hear speaking in these foreign languages because others are hearing them in their own native tongue, right? These babblings are not meaningless. This is not a religious, you know, emotional event. These people are speaking languages that others understand because they're their native tongues. These people who are gathered from far places. And he says also, they're not drunk. As you might think, thinking this, but the third hour of the day, right? They're not drunk. Maybe in the night you'd be drunk, but not in the day, right? And then he says in verse 16, <clears throat> the key verse here, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay. My. That Old Testament prophecy, even by the prophet Joel, who wrote hundreds of years before, is now being fulfilled in Jerusalem in this miraculous way. Well, what did Joel say? I'm not going to look at the whole passage, but it says, uh, In the last days, saith God, <laughs> I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And he goes on, and then he says, And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. And then he adds these words, Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. Hmm. And he says even more. And then he says in verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall 
be saved. So, now not all of that happened. Much that Joel had prophesied did not happen. Okay? There's no way one can say those things all happened at that time. Right? But some did, and these things that did occur were a foreshadowing is what Peter is I mean, what Peter is saying, quoting Joel, is that the day of the Lord is coming. We need to be ready, right? He's going to come in judgment. If you do not believe on Jesus, who is Israel's Messiah, right, who will bring to pass the judgment and the kingdom when he returns, right? He's now in heaven's glory, but he's going to be back. And if you do not respond now, you may be caught up in the judgment. That's really the point of Peter's speech here. All right. And what he's going to do next is tie that directly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, he can't return. He's not alive. Right. And so he next goes and quotes from the Psalms and so forth um, concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. Well, if that's the case, what's the final words that uh, will be spoken, right? Well, and what effect did they have? Acts chapter 2 tells you the effect that the words had. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do now, right? (laughs) We're in real trouble. Peter says simply, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, and even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Well, so that brings us to the end of the section. Tom, I'd like you to just read the final words there, because what God has done is to not only give a promise to the Lord, but he's fulfilled that promise in large measure. More to come later as time passes, right? And then finally, uh, indicated that it is prophetic. It is actually a key prophecy uh, from Joel that is being fulfilled. And that prophecy is regarding the return of the Lord and what must occur first before the Lord actually comes. So, Tom, please read... uh, where it all stands, Acts 2 and 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Thank you, Tom. Well, we had read before out of Luke chapter 2, and I made that kind of a central theme, the fall and rising of many in Israel. Well, we certainly had the fall of many when they delivered the Lord over to the cross, right? Now, the rising 
has begun, right? And now we have added, added, okay, 3,000 souls. So this is indeed the rising of Israel that had been preached uh, by uh, that, that uh, select person to Mary so many years before, 30, a little over 30 years before. Israel would fall, but Israel would rise. Israel, that's the nation. Well, but we've got to have a nation, an elect nation. And so I think what what uh, Peter and the others are now going to learn is how this elect nation will be constituted. And that will bring us to our study next time, Lord willing, on how Peter is going to actually preach an even more amazing message uh, recorded for us in Acts chapter 3. So in conclusion... The number of believers has increased by the thousands on the day of Pentecost. All there might have thought that the elect nation had been now constituted, it had been created, and the return of the Lord would be imminent. He would return to judge those that had rebelled and to deliver those that had been saved into his earthly kingdom that had been promised for so long, right? But instead there are delays. Now there's the first delay regarding the coming of the Spirit. We'll see there are other delays uh, yet to come. And the apostles do not go beyond the Jews. That's a very interesting thing because they've been given commissions to go forth and preach everywhere, right? But they have restrained themselves. Why? Well, because they knew something that maybe others didn't know, right? that there were preparations still to be made, and that would yet have to occur before God would complete his program for Israel. And that's uh, the next section in the book of Acts. So I look forward to that with all of you. Looking forward to see how that will go uh, next time. Lord willing. Are there any questions or comments before we close today? Let's uh, close in prayer. Father God, Father God, uh, your word is powerful. It is a glory to us to read, to see how you worked in times past, and to give pointers regarding times yet to come. And Father, I just thank you so much uh, for this opportunity, all of those that are so committed to be here with us each morning. And Father, may you watch over us, encourage us. May we realize that your grace is always sufficient. And uh, we just will rejoice in that, Father, now and forevermore. And amen.